0: Hey, this is Russell, and I work at the video store. I love this job because when the store is quiet, I get to watch movies and series and talk about them with my best friends that work here. Interesting people also pop in to rent something all the time. Each week, we can help you figure out what you could be watching on streaming platforms and out in cinemas. All right, let's do it. Let's open up the shop. (laughs) How's it? Good morning. How are you, Cole? Yeah, great. How are you, Kolsky? Feeling all good and chipper. Yeah, You seem chipper. Yeah, and you? I'm good. Hello, everyone at home or in your car, navigating traffic. How are you doing? sorry for you. Welcome to the video store. My name is Russell. I'm I'm Cole. (laughs) I'm joined by Cole. And today on the show, we are going to have Jonathan Rocksmith, who is, um, we're going to get into it, a... Legend in South African theatre. He is a dashing man with the voice of an angel Mm. and super talented. And he has whisked Cole away to do a number of productions. Cole not only understands and knows cinema and is very eloquent on our podcast, but he also slaps the bass. Oh, no. (laughs) He plays... Slaps the bass. (laughs) You're actually a very accomplished pianist. But for this case... You're playing you. bass in, yeah. a, in a show that Jonathan is putting on, and uh, we are enjoying all the time that we have with Cole before he has to travel the country and play in the show called Key Change.
1: Exactly.
0: Um, you are starting out in Cape Town?
1: Exactly. A theatre on the bay in Camps Bay. Why'd you say it like that? It's that Kiffness song. okay. Everything's okay in Camps bay <laughs> like I haven't heard that been, one haven't you That's uh-uh. always been stuck in my head okay so now it's just camp bay whenever um what are the dates on that um we start on the 3rd of august until mid-august <laughs> sorry okay. i don't know the dates I'm no that's fine we that.
0: will share the link where and does
1: one buy tickets web tickets only web tickets only okay but oh, that's not the website it's web Sure, but it's but it's yeah, on web tickets south, south africans tickets. know how to yeah South Africans know to they get They all just want to from shop on bloody CompuSecret. It's so funny. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> and like, it why? is
0: called uh, Key
1: Change. Yeah, Jonathan Rocksmith's Key Change. Exactly. My favorite pianist.
0: Quite specifically. And then in
1: Joburg, we're back in October. Okay, cool. Yeah.
0: So we are chatting now and Jonathan is going to pop in to, to rent something and we're going to talk to him. Amazing. I'm and so excited. And it's nice that we're going to have this chat before you guys go off and, and start this show yeah so so at the time of this episode being released the show is going to be underway in cape town so yeah Yeah. so get your tickets at web tickets for for key change um we are also going to chat um just a little bit about what we're watching it's nice to catch up it's nice to talk we are in the aftermath so to speak of the barbenheimer
1: still dealing with the fallout
0: excitement yeah there's still a little bit of radiation in the air (laughs) pink radiation Candy Floss radiation, um, yeah, the exciting fact that you know these two very anticipated films came out um, on the same day, and there was much excitement and it was very much largely encapsulated in last week's episode mm. with Chris Chameleon because myself and Gad um, did the double bull on the day a few days before the films came out around the world. We were lucky as the video store to uh, get these sneak previews these media screenings. And Cole, you and Graham, other video store um, guys, were all of us were able to do Oppenheimer Mm. at the start of the day, a bright early 9 o'clock start at Mall of Africa. 9 o'clock in Midrand. Which um, was something I never thought I'd do for cinema, but but we did it, and it was effortless, and it was incredible. And we'll talk about it to to some degree here now. Um, But then at the end of the night, only myself and Gad did barbie so that's why it was right that myself and gad helmed last week's episode specifically about it but i'd like to now hear from you cole because you then later went on to
1: watch barbie and you and graham went yeah we went to rosebank six o'clock on a sunday evening uh which was interesting because we couldn't get tickets and that hasn't happened in a while um it was so good to see a cinema full of people of different ages like teenagers adults grannies And everyone dressed in pink. Everyone's excited for the event. That's lovely. Right? Because we obviously went to the premiere where you had to wear pink. Yeah, it was like in the invitation, right?
0: Yeah, which, you know, was to be expected and part of the fun. But you went on a random night to a random Random cinema and everyone was wearing pink. Everyone was wearing pink. And it just shows you that is the era that we live in where we can all document ourselves and document the event. Yeah. And that's why it's important to dress up.
1: Maybe our people want to be part of the hashtag, maybe. It's great. But it's like, whatever it is, whatever the result is, there's excitement for the cinema and going to movies. And everyone's like, streaming is going to kill cinemas. And it's like, no. Not if
0: the movie is an event. Not if it it can bring people together. And I think that's going to be the evolution of cinema. Um, Especially at the point of the pandemic, especially when cinemas were closed. Uh, The Bioscope we got asked to be a part of a bunch of interviews Mm. and I did a couple of interviews with Daily Maverick Mail and Guardian which was about what is the the future of cinema and I was like nothing can beat the technology of something like IMAX it's incredible to see it on such a huge scale and we're seeing it now that's what we want to see those are the movies that we as the video store have gone out for Mission Impossible um Oppenheimer. Yeah, You have to see it there. Yeah. And then the movies like Barbie where you don't have to see it in IMAX, but you want to see it with other people. Yeah. You want to event it. It's It feels like Black Panther. Oh, yeah, totally. It's, it's one like of those moments where you want to be there with other people. Mm. Some and movies you just want to be on a couch. Like you don't need to be with other people. But, but with Barbie you want to feel that excitement. And that's the future of cinema. It's going to be IMAXs and perhaps – places like the bioscope where you got to quote along and you've got to mm. dress up and you're going to eat this and do this and it makes cinema an event
1: yeah and the best thing about seeing it in a movie is especially in something like the rosebank cinemas how big are they like 200 300 people yeah and hearing that final line in barbie you know what it is yeah and seeing 300 people all simultaneously burst out laughing it's like the real who like you don't like that, you can't experience that at home, and it's amazing. Yeah. The communal thing. It's lovely. So, it's it's either that community build
0: or that technical prowess. Yeah. But speaking of cord alongs, we want to thank everyone who came out for Hot Fuzz last week.
1: Yeah. It was thank you.
0: certainly one of our best. We are gaining momentum with each of these video store presents nights that mm-hmm. we're doing. And um, because we record here at the Bioscope, um, this is our our home to some degree. We This is where the video store is recorded out of. We naturally wanted to put on screenings mm. and we wanted to specifically make them be the movies that we think you should see. So that's why we chose Hot Fuzz because it was just like why have we not screened Hot Fuzz at the Bioscope? Have you
1: not screened it before? No,
0: we haven't. Damn, Maybe I'm surprised by that. I think we did it once as like a classic movie Sunday. But it was premature. It was mm. wrong. Now's the time to enjoy those movies more than ever yeah. before we should
1: th- we should just go full tilt and do the full cornetto full yeah cornetos. well i've actually
0: been playing with that idea i think perhaps at the end of this year because we like to do marathons in christmas okay around christmas time because people got time yeah let's do a cornetto trilogy marathon oh yes and you get cornetto you
1: get cornettos <laughs> one for every movie one three cornetto's in one day
0: lovely um what a treat Alright, so yeah, I, I would like to, just before we get started, I'd love you to just give me a bit of a back-of-the-box of Jonathan. Because I don't yeah. know him that well. I okay. know of him. You've obviously had a lot to do with him. But right. just give me give me something on Jonathan. Give you something? I'll give, give you, some- you all of it, baby. <laughs> no,
1: Jonathan Rocksmith is basically South Africa's leading man, I think. like it's Specifically for theatre? Yeah, specifically for musical theatre, right? Because um, I,
0: I mentioned to my mum that we were going to chat to him, and she she knew him. Oh, really? And okay. I
1: was like, oh, fuck,
0: my mom knows. A theater performer, then you know he's oh, transcended. A no, not a miracle, but you know he's transcended something.
1: Right. So people if have he, heard if his name. He's, if he's that well known. Yeah. No, so Jonathan started off um, in the Barnyard Theaters. I remember being 16, watching one of his little like uh, jukebox musicals that he put together called Rock Me Amadeus, which is about Amadeus coming back from the grave to do a rock and roll show. Which is really cool to rock out. <laughs> cool. And that was the first time I saw someone play Meatloaf live on piano, it blew my mind. But he's done Phantom So then beyond that, at all the teatro, those big productions that come to South Africa that are licensed here. So you get like Phantom of the Opera, you get Evita, the Sound of Music. Okay. Jonathan's been involved in those. Okay. Right. I'm not sure if he's been in the sound of music. Sorry, don't quote me on that. My theatre knowledge is terrible. But um, no Gaston and Beauty and the Beast. Perfect in that oh, role.
0: Oh, I would imagine he's Play- a handsome man. Oh, so he's that- beautiful. Okay. All and right.
1: And then he's played toured with the Phantom of the Opera. And um yeah, I think he's played in like fifteen countries or something. It's okay. it's amazing. All right.
0: All right. Well let's get into it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. We gotta to get to work here. Enough chit chat. Enough chit chat, man. All right. This is Jonathan Rocksmith popping in to rent something.
2: How's it? Hi. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I've heard, I mean, I don't know if Cole said the right things. I've heard a lot about you. I've heard a lot about you. <laughs> Good. Good things. Good. Um, <laughs> and initially, like, when he, when he discussed about the store and everything, I was like, okay, well, it's nice to meet your friends, business partners and all that. So Yeah. yeah. So. I'm excited to meet you because I have always
0: taken a great joy in watching Cole's productions and all the things that he's been a part of. Yeah. I missed the the last run of Key Change. Yes. I know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm excited that it's Keep that to coming yourself. back. Yeah. yeah. Um, where do we begin? You are a full-time singer, songwriter, theater maker. How, yeah. do, you, how do you introduce
2: yourself to people? Um, you know, in this Would you day just and say, age, I'm,
0: just, I'm Jonathan Rocksmith?
2: No, well, well, you know, they'll, they'll have the t-shirt. <laughs> no, no it's, Do you know, in this day and age, like, to say I'm a musical theater performer boxes you, and I think that that's a bad thing, so I just am an entertainer. Because okay. that can literally mean anything. And the way I learned that is you know, when you're landing in a city overseas and you have to write that little form out. Yeah, always just say self employed. Well, the minute you say entertainer, it's like an air of mystery. Like, what? Exotic entertainer? Mm. Like adult entertainer? Or like, Ooh. is there a hi- bunny? Children's entity? Inter- you know, is there be a anything. bunny involved? <laughs> exactly. You know, my, one of my heroes is um, Barry Humphreys, the late Barry Humphreys, ah. who was Dame Edna. And he always used to type, r- write in Dadaist. Yeah, nobody ever asked him what that means. <laughs> yeah, because he I, said entertainer is basically a request for death.
0: I uh, <laughs> I knew someone who who would send things via mail, and obviously was finding out that they I think they were making clothes, or they were making they were doing something that was people people were stealing yeah. in the post, and she figured out if she wrote haberdashery on it, nobody nobody. Bothered to look, <laughs> and, and then and, uh, the, extra,
2: the extra fees and everything.
0: Speaking of um, of of how you label yourself, uh, my drumming teacher, growing up, because I, I played drums and got drumming lessons, he used to call himself a mesogramphonologist, <laughs> which was his like that's... Latin word for drumming. You know, stretched over makes noise person. Oh, that's Fantastic! Wow, and he's so miso mean, he... means stretched over. So Some... it's a stretched over soup. Something I don't know. This oh. is what he told me when I was like sixteen, and I was like, "That's awesome!" And he just said people took him far more seriously when he told him he was Are a mesogramophonologist.
2: I need to get sort of uh, some acronyms at the end of my name. Yeah, mm. you know that always people take yeah. me seriously. You know,
0: um, you cut your teeth on cruise ships. Is
2: no, that right? no, no, I cut my teeth in the barnyard theatre. Okay, so I, I had a pretty traditional um, path, uh, doing all the school sort of speech festivals and plays and musicals and that sort of thing. In fact, at the moment, I'm busy converting off, funnily enough, VHS, all of my home videos of all my old school productions. Wow. I was awful. Oh, but no. at the time, I thought I was Meryl Streep. Totally. Um, <laughs> this, is, Street. <laughs> this is you performing in school production. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like I was Constable Bluebottle in grade two, if you're interested. Iconic role. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, in a play called the litter bugs oh, hey. and a dream. i i come on stage and I'm like right you two in the corner over there and it's like it's it's yeah. so funny to look back at that because my mother always said like it was very clear what i was going to do no matter yeah. you know she wanted me to go into criminal law we live in Joburg. i'd never run out of work that was the theory <laughs> but no for real yeah yeah no, the woman has a point do you know why i never went into law because we don't have a jury in this country yeah, or as I call it, an audience. Yes. So yeah. I went. I went into theatre and I, I did a gap year.
0: You mean there's just going to be one person watching like, my show, and they're dressed better than I
2: am? Like, what the hell is this about? It's almost like being in church again, you know. Yeah. So I don't know if that's allowed, but there it is. Mm. Um, I, I yeah, I was I was fascinated with the whole um making people laugh thing and getting yeah. getting applause, and that became like a, a drug of sorts. And I. I was approached. I wasn't approached, but the school was approached by the Barnyard Theatre that wanted to do a production of Greece with age-appropriate kids. Yeah, not like a Danny in his late thirties, which, yeah, as we all know, is Trey So I was just like, mm, it's, I don't know.
0: It's so funny when you look at some of those screenshots. Stockard Channing.
2: Yeah, she was, she
0: was thirty-six, and she was meant to be sixteen. I mean, yeah.
2: <laughs> and yeah. there she was sleeping with high school children. I was like, Oh my goodness, good. this is awful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, went into the Barnyard Theatre, and at the end of that first. Yeah. What did you do first? Grease? Yeah, I was the Teen Angel. Lol. So the Teen Angel. Yeah, you know the beauty school dropout guy. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Act two, only one song, perfect. Yeah. And I, you know, I really, really responded, and I was just like, oh, this, this, it feels correct. Feels, now. feels right. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, my mum said, uh, "This is what you want to do, isn't it?" I said, "Yeah." Yeah. And she's like, "Well then, uh, I." I don't know if we can stop you, but just see how it goes. So yeah. I've been seeing how it goes now for the past cranky maths, eighteen years.
0: Yeah. I, I I did the school plays, I've I've said it on this podcast before. I, I had this miserable day in a on a rugby field in a training day in the afternoon going what the fuck am i doing on a rugby yeah. field like i play in a rock band yeah because i was always a musician and i was like what am i doing here and then i actually don't have a memory thereafter of playing rugby ever again i think i finished the season but you had a I, moment of clarity I, this moment was profound and yeah. i was like now in winter i'm going to now do the major productions so i started as like a member of the band mm. then i was the one of the you know, cast, general cast, and then by my matricia I was the lead. And I just loved it. Yeah. And I remember my dad shaking my hand on that on on one of the nights that he came to watch, going like, I get it. Like well done.
2: Yeah. That was that was kinda of what I had with my mom. At, yeah. Like in the foyer of the barnyard theatre. How picturesque. Yeah. And um or like a parent knows when well, they see it, it. It wasn't so much that she was a parent. I think she was relating to me just as another human being, going, Okay. And I think on some level she related because she didn't follow what she always wanted to do. She became yeah. a, a very successful, you know, PA, high up in corporate. But my mom was a, was a very, very b- big people person. So I think she would have preferred to be like an organizer or like events or something mm. like that. Yeah. And I think she, through gritted teeth, didn't want me to follow the same path. Yeah. Because there is that stigma that, you know, um, actors that work in the theater, when they get to age 50 are poor and only eat like cat food. Yeah. And it's, it's not true. Like there's the stigma that there's no money in theater. There is money in theater. I just don't think that there's financial planning. Okay. And that's that I, th- I, I wish that they would add that to the syllabus in any college that teaches anything remotely to do with the arts. The yeah. first thing yeah. should be budgeting. The second mm. thing should be compound interest. And why should you know it? Yeah. Because that's kind of any like freelancer. Also frankly
1: teaching us tax and life guidance in high school. Yeah and stuff like that. Like yeah. And skills then teach we all use. the boys and
2: girls and everyone else how to change a tire yeah. and to sew a button on it. Shouldn't be related to what you know, what gender or sex you identify. Yeah. At, you yeah. know, everybody should know that. Yeah. yeah.
0: All the women all the women in high school went to go do home ec yeah. and learn how to cook. And I remember there was one guy who was like, I wanna do it, I wanna be a chef. And it was weird that there
2: was a dude doing home economics. Now try and find a female chef. Sure, but it's one of those like we should all be
0: like. I I grew up being useless at
2: cooking. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) myself and Cole learned in (laughs) lockdown how to like cook carrots. Well, this is the and this is kind of my point. Like I was part of the first group of OBE kids. I was. I was two thousand one to two thousand five. We were the first, which meant up until grade ten, you did every single subject, all twelve. Okay. Um, I mean, I think I still have like mild scoliosis cause my school, my school bag was so heavy with textbooks for 12 subjects. Remember textbooks? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> that was quaint. Um, <laughs> and overhead projectors and all that work, yeah, you know, yeah. but
0: I'm very much a kid of that era. <laughs> yeah. I
2: mean, quite happily so. But the the thing I'm, I'm very pleased about is I, I sort of got the most well-rounded form of education compared to people who then, you know, followed. Hmm. Um, and whilst I think it was a wildly impractical system in terms of workload, the, the, the basics that we all had to learn and just Mm. sort of suffer through, I use today, except sign cause and tan, like what the hell is that? What does it mean? Um, I actually did a talk at my high school. they invited me back to like address everybody. And I ended my speech with, and by the way, just so that you're all clear, you will never need sign, cos, or tan. And for a week, there was an embargo on maths homework. The kids wouldn't do it. <laughs> oh, <serious? laughs> I incited my own little lame miz at Northcliffe High School. Right. <laughs> <That's
0: laughs> <lovely. laughs> um, okay, so, so you were launched pretty much straight in yeah. from high school. And, and, and were you consuming any kind of interesting musical theater films? Were there other things that were
2: Look, inspiring I was,
0: you creatively from a film perspective at I that was point? always
2: watching TCM like those old classic oh, film musicals because okay. n- not from a point of view that um that was my hobby i just i'd never ever seen somebody burst into song after speaking to somebody i was just like what the hell is that mm. um and then there were these big wildly boldly produced m- movie musicals like singing in the, in the rain if you watch the broadway ballet and that that is a fever dream yeah Hard. i mean go check it sit with legs up here Dancing with a hat. So I was like, what is going on? What this is this? bizarre.
0: So, so do you, did you remember watching Singing in the Rain at that point in your life, like 18, 19? Oh, how old are you?
2: I had to learn how to tap dance for one of the school musicals. So what I did was I, I learned how to tap from Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire because that was the only access. We didn't have YouTube. Yeah. So yeah. what I would do is I'd take a mirror and I'd point it at the TV then look at the mirror because it would re- reverse his feet so I could copy what he was doing. And we had a VHS that you could slow down, oh, so I'd crazy. watch it in slow motion and watch what he was doing, and I learned that cool. way. Um, so, uh, to a, to a large degree, I would say that TCM was like one of my first serious lecturers. Okay. Mm. So, in a way, as much as I had a chip on my shoulder about never studying, I'd already been through some sort of syllabus at MGM. It was kind yeah. of weird. Yeah. <laughs> and by the time I got into a professional show, like people were was Often, like a bit taken aback at my general knowledge, because I was genuinely fascinated by this. Yeah, and it was at a point where I think I was quite unpopular amongst certain older performers because they'd say, "Oh yeah, uh, hairspray," and I would rattle off, "Okay, hairspray was two thousand and." Two, and it was Harvey Fierstein, Mark Shaman and obviously Scott Whitman because they're a couple and I would just go off on a tangent yeah, because I was talking to somebody in the theatre so yeah, they'd, you were they'd know. Mm. So the general knowledge I think initially started out as a compensation but mm. became an obsession.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm. Um, and then it. from there, honestly, like I met the right people at the right places at the right times.
0: It's interesting that mm. you say you're schooling, you know, you didn't want to study and, and it's how you say you must learn how to um, fix a tyre, change a tyre um oh w- Werner, Herzog, the, yeah. the, Werner Herzog the the Werner Herzog the filmmaker um and, famous and Mandalorian star Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much he he famously put together this sort of fun idea of a film school I don't know whether how formal it was but there was this idea that he he set up this film school basically a curriculum but it was things like how to hotwire a car how to jump a fence <laughs> oh, how to wow. negotiate it was like it was a great play on You don't need to know Italian neorealism. You'll pick that up. Watch movies and you'll get it. Yeah, I I remember. But there's practical life Mm. things that you Mm. need to survive, especially as a filmmaker, where Mm. you are not necessarily going to always wake up every day and live out your creative vision. You're going to be solving problems.
1: Yeah. That's Mm. what a director does. I remember in film school learning of Werner Herzog and that guy doing his guerrilla filmmaking, breaking all the rules shit. I remember like trying to find inspiration, figuring out what I was doing wrong. And I saw an interview of his and I love doing storyboards because I also draw a lot. So it's like mm-hmm. a perfect synthesis of those two things for me. And then I'm like looking for inspiration. I find an interview and he goes, storyboards are for cowards. <laughs> 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 he took it out of Almost a little too arny. So. Have, have you, no, 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 we got it. It's, it's, I he, love that. He's got this yeah.
0: dry German, German accent. It's crazy. Um, there's a great yeah. documentary we once screened at the Bioscope called something like Journey to the End of the Earth. or It was all about Antarctica, and mm-hmm. it was narrated by Werner Herzog. And there's this moment in, in penguin colonies where one might just disappear from the, from the group. They're going on some kind of mission. Some, yeah. some part of nature compels this penguin to go off, but they've seen from research that these penguins never come back, these ones that do this kind what? of mission. It's almost like they've...
2: Like a dis- pilgrimage kind of thing.
0: Kind of, or maybe they know they're going to the die.
2: I <laughs> oh, need to get Benedict Cumberbatch to say it he's, he's the best Penguin
0: <laughs> but there's this great scene where this penguin is just sort of walking away from everyone and he's like the lonely penguin
2: <laughs> is, <going> to, <laughs> is never
0: going to come
2: back and it's just great. And he put a tax on to leave, you know, <laughs> <laughs> left informal formal wear. I love that. Um, okay. It's almost like the, the, the alternate director's cut of Mary Poppins after the tea party, you know, just the one penguin leaves <laughs> and just walks into the it's starts the
1: narrating? It's a lonely penguin.
2: Um, <laughs> let's get back on talking about what how the barnyard led you to musical theatre more. Ah, so I think I do need to preface this and say um, there's some sort of fashionable thing in the theatre industry to bash the barnyard. Because they just do little compilation rock shows and, oh, there's no craft and process and blah, blah, blah. And this is people who are saying that because they either come from subsidized backgrounds or they couldn't get into the barnyard. Okay. And if you've been in the barnyard and you've done it, you know what you can talk about if you didn't like certain things. And you're allowed to because you've done it. Yeah. But if anybody else does, it's one of the things that actually riles me. Yeah. Because... I think Barnyard Theatre and Children's Theatre are the two of the most important gateway theatres exactly. we have. No, exactly. In terms of an audience spaces. for the next 10 years.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, because I think what people have missed, especially with something like The Barnyard, and let's be honest, The Barnyard's been around for ages. It started out in Platenburg Bay in a literal barn okay. and became one of the most successful theatre franchises. Post-COVID, it has dipped a little bit, but it is still there. Mm. And during COVID, I actually went back to the barnyard because I thought, well, we have to start somewhere. And the venues were so big, you could do social distancing and still get enough people in. So we did an Elton John series of concerts. We did a Billy Joel series of concerts. And it was so cool to go back. And I was reminded why starting in the barnyard was so important. I think what it does is it strips away the stigma that the theater is for rich old whites. Yeah which I think is one of the things we have to really, really rail against because yeah. it's just not the case. Yeah, sure. And, you know, new theatres like the Fugard Theatre, the late Fugard Theatre in Cape Town and um, even the Colt Bay Theatre um, in, in Cape Town, they're they're putting on stuff that is more for everybody than has been put on in ages. mm And when I started in the barnyard, what was so cool is, yes, I had aspirations to go and work at the Joburg, back in those days, the Civic Theatre. Yeah, the That's the pinnacle. We didn't have the theatre yet. Mm, Or even if I was lucky, I could go work at the State Theatre. You know, wow. Wow. I saw Phantom in 2004. But I think the thing about the barnyard um, indirect training is that if you can get through a barnyard show and make it work with… You know, limited resources and limited infrastructure and limited gear and equipment, and still put on an amazing show that make, makes people really happy. Mm. Um, the more you get in other venues around the world, you'll appreciate that more. Yeah. So it sets you up to succeed with more by starting out with less.
0: Yeah, sure.
2: That said, I had some of the best times of my life in the Barnyard Theatre. That's cool. Hands down, because it was, a, it was a far more collaborative, I think, by necessity. You have to be collaborative to work in the barnyard, like you say about direction with problem solving. The barnyard had that as part of its milieu. You know, yeah. it was just—it was a rustic, no frills, no pretence. We're here to have. <clears throat> we're here, I'm getting emotional. Uh, we're here <laughs> to give. We're here to give people a good time. Yeah. You know, and and, and I think that at the end of the day should be the goal. Yeah. As much as we need to tell stories, and that the end goal of entertainment. Is to, to is to entertain. It's to
0: entertain, yeah.
2: Um, and from there, I went into Beauty and the Beast at the Teatro. Like it was one hell of a jump. Suddenly, I'm looking in the wings, and there are people in the wings. Like, what the hell are they doing there? We don't have that. Yeah. But, oh, wow. that's, that's a stage manager. Oh, that's a technical director. Yeah. Oh, those are stagehands. Like the luxury of it all. Mm-hmm. And I sort of carried on. And I think between working in the barnyard, and I have to do a, a mention of Ian Von Memmety here, Yes, he was directing the Barnyard production of Greece, and we we then did the Buddy Holly story the next year.
0: I want to talk about Buddy Holly. So yeah, yeah, Karen.
2: And it was there that I started realizing, okay, so Ian is a professional in the entertainment industry, but he doesn't just do musicals. Mm. He oh. writes his own stuff. He uh, composes. He does corporates. He does MCs. He does television. Mm. He does you know. And I realized. Okay. It so doesn't that,
1: just have to be the barnyard.
2: Yeah. The trick wow. of being a successful entertainer in this country is to not say I'm a musical theater performer.
0: All right. Look how we've come all the way back to the first question. Do you like that? To the first you like question. That? Well done. There you go. Um uh just before we get into Buddy Holly, there was one mention about when you're talking about how you can make a life out of it. There was one important thing to to go back to, which um is the fact that musicians often don't know about the royalty agencies. Oh, my gosh. And how every time you perform your own composition, you can submit that and you can get royalties. Oh, yeah. you know Just by that, even if your song isn't on radio, if you've gone to a club or a bar and you've played your songs, you've got to fill out the form, submit it, and you can get money as a result. Mm. Um, I was very lucky enough to play a very big arena last week. Okay. Uh, the band that I'm in um, opened for George Ezra. Oh, hello. Yeah. And so we played Sunbed Arena, which was lovely. Wow. And someone reminded me of that. They were like, don't forget to submit to Samro. What? Because for that amount of people, there is a chunk of money that is waiting for the composers. There's a chunk of money waiting for the performers. And you just got to submit. But I mean, yeah. that this is a lovely exception because it's this one big night. But all of those shows can be... Submitted, But it just needs um, the musician to first know about it yeah. and then put in
2: that laborious task of
0: yeah. submitting. And um, I think
2: what, what ends to happen is because people are trying to do so many things all at once, it becomes a matter of, oh, well, I don't have the time. Well, they might also have this punk rock attitude where they're like, oh, we just go and play shows. It's like, well, if you really want to be a musician,
0: you've got to set up that pipeline. Yeah. I remember someone passive ex- income ex- explaining like publishing as this pipe. You've got to build the pipe. Maybe there'll be a trickle of water, but if you do it all properly, like water can flow. Yeah. It can come to you forever. And just now, one of your compositions gets put in some campaign 20 years later. And if, if, if the pipeline's built, you'll get the money. Yeah. Um, I like that. But um, onto Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly was one of those productions that I think set a big course for my life. As oh, a yes.
2: little kid, you, the one at the state. Yeah, so yeah. I,
0: I would have watched probably one of the first incarnations of the Buddy Holly show with
2: the Craig Urbani,
0: Craig Urbani, yeah. yeah, and there was another dude as well that, that also was was Buddy. They they shared nights, or they swapped
2: nights. It used to be it was, it was LJ, and then of course there was also Andrew Webster. Yeah, I'm trying to think um, who there I, been I saw. A few.
0: And uh, obviously, the Buddy Holly story was was a nice, actually a nice thing to speak about because it was a South African production. It was South
2: African born and produced. No, no, it was brought went, over from the West End.
0: I, I Are you sure? I yes. always understood that it was conceived in South Africa no. and then it went to the West End as a result, and no. we were so happy.
2: I wish, I okay. wish that were the case. Uh, um, the Buddy Holly story was written by Alan Bettinson. Okay. Um, no, uh, Rob Bettinson. Um, it started out on Broadway, I think it was 89, okay. and it starred a guy called Paul Hip. Okay. And he was nominated for A Tony and the whole spiel. It went to London, and I think London became a huge hit, and with our ties to England. Yeah. The big thing that we used to have with PACT and NAPAC and all those sort of associations is we were getting Broadway replicas yeah. into South Africa, like it's the second or third stop around the world. What? These days, a show happens on Broadway, it transfers to the West End, and then maybe Australia, and then it goes on big world tours. Yeah. We used to be Australia. We'd get it second okay. or third okay. in the world. So productions are crazy for you that they had, I think it was 93. Um, and I think it was only on Broadway, 91, 92. So we were getting it that fresh. Okay, so and literally, as per the original designs, because oh. the State Theatre could accommodate any size set from around the world. Wow. We had one of the best theatres in the world for quite some time. Okay. So the, the, the Buddy Holly was brought over. I think Pierre and Pletson did a, a slightly different approach with it. Okay. And. By the way, if this is incorrect, I'd love to hear and and see yeah. how it was different. Because in terms of production rights, that would have been a minefield to negotiate. Okay, so but, perhaps but it we was... but we got a pretty much a full scale replica. Okay. of that production, and okay. because uh, it came from London, they saw Craig and said, "Do you know what? Let's have you join the production in London." That's what. And then we want okay. you to come to Australia and play it there. I mean. Craig was nominated for Oliviers. He was a nom- he nominated for Helpman Awards in Australia. It, we're talking big level stuff here. That's and Craig represents um, the start of an attainable, bigger dream for a South African-based performer. Mm, Not yeah. only were we proud of our you know our boy overseas, what it you know the Afrikaans people have onsa Mimi in the musical theater world, we had our Craig. and yeah. then Amra Faye joined that with Chicago and paved the way, which we can touch on later for other performers such as myself who who also want to join that roster
0: it's representation it's you seeing yourself absolutely i can be i can be that i i just loved the the story of the yeah the the story of buddy holly how he became the band the love of passion being making music and and but specifically seeing those guys perform and just a part of me as a little little kid i was probably 10 or 11 Mm -hmm. i was like "Mm, yep no I want to do that because the they one. were actually playing. I want to on stage. do that yeah I think that's mm-hmm. the
2: big trick you know as soon as you see a I think there's still an amazing magic about watching another human being play an instrument for real in front of you because mm. there's an added sort of subconscious danger this could go wrong. he could make a mistake they could make a mistake or um something might not go according to plan, like everything is a slight risk mm. yeah. and I think those stakes are really amazing. and then when you see somebody like Craig play a Johnny B. Good solo and then put it behind his head, yeah. Like all that stuff. And then he's singing. And then he's being charming. And then he's being like a really cool, sexy, leading man. Like, It's, it's amazing because it's a guy. Mm-hmm. And I think as much as we try and pretend that that doesn't exist these days, it's still very much the sectors of society where you still need to convince some guys in the audience mm-hmm. that it's cool to be on stage and it's cool to sing and it's cool to play an instrument. Yeah, There's still an element of that. Not as much as it was, but it is still sure, there. Sure. And when you can win that part of the it's the same guy. Who, when they go to watch the Rocky Horror show, Mm. says, Yeah, I'll tell you what, that Frankenfurter, I want to have a beer with him. If you can (laughs) win him over. Exactly. And it's still there.
0: Yeah. Um, So, did you watch that original production?
2: No, no, I never saw it. I didn't. I'd heard about it. I had the, I think I had a a cassette of the original South African production. Um, But I'd heard a lot about it, the myth and everything. And I went to school with Craig's sister. Yeah, cool. So he'd, he'd been a part of my subconscious, not just as a hero and a goal, but as a, a big moment in our history theatrically. Yeah. Um, and then he actually came to the high school. He flew in from London about 2004 to come and visit Jess. And I was like, oh my God, it's Gregor Barney. Wild. Yeah. Um, and then years later, I got to work with him in my own show, Great Balls of Fire, where I wrote a part for him. So it was like, it
1: it's was lovely. such a
2: weird thing i mean I, I think i've been quite cavalier and casual about relaying what that meant to me to him because you know we're, we're just guys and you know it's fine and blah but it, it really was a big deal and the point about buddy holly that i'm trying to get back to is his story is actually quite dull he okay. didn't do a lot yeah the most exciting thing that happened to him quite frankly is he got killed in a, in a plane crash too young yeah but what it did is it set the precedent for, for every young Buddy Holly, Marilyn Monroe, James Dean—you know all of that ah, kind of stuff.
0: Right, Kurt Cobain. All and of the, them. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And then you you tell that story to a South African. I mean, I just watched the production now at uh, Artscape before it came to the Teatro, and I still saw the same effect on on audience members. Mm. Where one minute they're dancing in the aisles, and the next minute they're sitting there like absolutely shattered.
0: I've got a, I've got one for you. Have mm. you seen Tick Tick Boom? Yes. On Netflix. Okay. Have you seen it, Cole? No. Speaking of dying too soon. Um, this is the biopic starring uh, Andrew Garfield of the guy who... Jonathan Larson. Jonathan Larson, who um, made Rent, which mm. was one of these yeah. these these musical hits that we're talking about. Oh, yeah. A lot of stuff gets made, but every now and again, one gets a hit, like yeah. a breakout hit. And Rent was it that was the hit. Hamilton of its day. It was the Hamilton of its day. Oh. What are we talking? Early 90s? 90s? That was 94. 90, Mid-90s. 93, 94, yeah. Uh, obviously a big part of the 90s was the AIDS epidemic and so this is it's flavored and sort of themed around that Mm. a bunch of people living in New York right Um, and Tick Tick Boom is uh, the play he did just before Rent yes and it was about him being a 30-something not having a musical it was very like meta about himself and he um this this, this film is on Netflix and it's incredible and it's this incredibly sad ending, bittersweet ending because he creates Rent and I think he then passes away
2: yeah. about a week after it opens no, or something. Before. No, it was the day before. The day before. What? Yeah, he had a, a pulmonary attack. Yeah. And people initially thought oh he died of HIV because he was gay and blah blah. No, he was actually straight. Yeah. People don't realise this. Jonathan Larson was straight. And the fact that he was able to write a song like "One Song Glory," or "Seasons of Love," or you know, like the whole section because it's based on La Boheme, right? Okay, it's the same plot, and you know, artists and struggling artists in New York trying to get by, um, facing death of their peers and that sort of thing. There's also a touch of Romeo and Juliet. It's it's Shakespearean and operatic, and then set with a '90s sort of feel. It's amazing. Mm. But then you look at Tick Tick Boom, and the reason I'm obsessed with Tick Tick Boom is it's one of the very few musicals that feet that require uh, a pianist. Okay. And I, I it was on my radar for a long, long time. And when I saw they were making a musical of that, it was spearheaded. One of the producers is uh, Lin Manuel Miranda of yes. Hamilton, yeah, who was so influenced by Jonathan Larson wow. amongst other people. So it it just goes to show like the cycle of it. Yeah. So in a in a, just to bring it back to this, like in a way, Rent was to Lin-Manuel Miranda, I suppose, in a way, what the shows I did at the barnyard were for me. Wanting to go back to that and honor that and grow from that because of the inspiration it provided. And I think as much as we like to immortalize the American theater industry compared to South Africa, I mean, they've been around for much longer. The similarity between the two... I was just in New York now for about six weeks, and what I picked up there was the big similarity is we now have a lot more artists coming through who don't apologize for the fact that they look back and cite their heroes and honor their heroes and mm. want to tell stories today in a way that's inspired by, but they're going to advance what they learned from those guys back then. It's okay. phenomenal to see. Like Sylvain Strike. If you look at what Sylvain's doing now. Yeah. Did you see Firefly at mm-hmm. Monty? Like incredible stuff. But you can, you can see some of her influences way back to the, like, the early pack days. Yeah. It's amazing.
0: Um I, I did do some studying. <laughs> um I, I was at WITS and I did um a B.A.D.A. and I, I loved the whole John Carney Winston in China oh, those they, they are, that that sort of black box theatre stuff. Mm. That was that was very also seminal for me, also, which is f-
2: one of the first South Africans ever to win a Tony. Yeah. In mm. the seventies. Yeah. for was it was it Albert, I think.
0: It could have been. Mm. I know that there is a TV recording of the one that has got like a young Matthew Broderick in it. Wow. (laughs) So it's Uh, amazing who was around. Wasn't that Master Harold? Master Harold and the Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's also lovely and super inspiring that you can make this black box theater, the, the term being that often there was literal black boxes. There was no big stage productions and things.
2: Well, it's kind of where we are now. Yeah. With theater coming back and lots of you know the term pop-up theater and pop-up venues and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, where it's, it's purely about uh, a humble space where um, people who perhaps have performed on big stages all around the world are still around, they're still here, and they still want the theater to survive, and they have stories to tell. And what it does is it actually inspires the theater maker or storyteller to be more theatrical. Like, yeah. if I'm telling a story that involves a flood, all basically, all people need um, in this day and age is you know a sheet and a couple of torches, and they can create an entire flood on stage. It's, yeah,
0: your imagination. And they would well. not have
2: come up with that if they were in a fully subsidised theatre with anything that you'd like budget-wise. Yeah. yeah, and the impact of that is far better than an LED screen on stage.
0: Yeah, you know, no, it's it's it's, be- it's quite exciting. Um, so, what is key change for you? That's the that's the production that you have now been developing, yeah. you, you you two, Cole and and, and yourself, yeah. um, Jonathan are about to go to Cape Town
2: for a run, then it comes to Joburg, what, what is key change for you? So essentially, um, I have always wanted to, so I was part of a handful of keys for many, many years. Yeah, shout out to Ian Von Memmety. Rulof who, Kulain, Brian Schimmel, Jeremy Quickfall. I,
0: I grew up going to those plays, I, I remember going to Handful of Keys, oh, which yeah. was just this oh, yeah.
2: Fun, delightful celebration of piano-based music. And you want to talk about similar black box origins, where it was just two guys, two pianos, two hours, a couple of things that looked like trees, a mirror, and two pianos. That's it. That's all they had. And they had like modest costumes by Carlos Speto back in the day. And the advanced bookings, as Ian would say, were two nuns, a lemming, and a packet of chips. That was the advanced bookings. (laughs) What does that mean? Nobody. Oh. (laughs) And... It became Two nans, a lemon, and a packet of chips. A lemming. A lemming. You know, the no. ones that throw themselves yeah, on the hills. Game. The one <laughs> that did That computer it's game. Only <laughs> lemming, burnt about a handful of keys. You yeah, know, yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. And what was so crazy is it became this... They had their finger on the zeitgeist of South African humor. Mm. It was yeah. 94. Yeah. Very weird time. Yeah. And they just found a way to level everybody by making everybody laugh. Yeah. No matter who came to the theater. Yeah. And it became... A very valuable and, um, I think, important lesson for theater makers. Don't set out to write a hit. Write what you know honestly. And mm. if 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 you're lucky…
0: And if you're having fun doing it. I remember having, remember watching them having so much fun. Because mm. there was that one scene where, didn't they like swap? Yeah. They like sort of ran to each other's pianos. Yeah, and, the rock and roll section. Yeah. yeah it's it's crazy it's, because… It sticks in my head 20 lucky, years later.
2: Harry Sideropoulos has this wonderful saying, you know… Um, your, your aim in the theatre should be for something that you've, been, that you've created to be received in the way at which it was created. And I've okay. never forgotten that. Okay. So if you create it with joy, it should be met with joy. Yeah. Mm. And key change, I've been, I've been sort of... I mean, when we first did Elton John, I mean, I was still thinking about stuff. I think we had a brief chat. I was like, I want to do a piano show one day, one yeah. day with all the It was the so nascent back then. So it's, it's been something that's been building up for a while because I did a handful of keys. I'm not going to do it again. Uh, it's time has come and gone for me. Okay, so um, you actually
0: did the production. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. I did it for about eight years. Okay. I took over from Jeremy Quickfall uh, yeah. around 2008.
1: That was the one that I saw for the first time. Yeah. Twice. Yeah. Mm.
2: So from there, I've always wanted to do a piano show. Yeah. But I, in the past, I've been locked into one composer per show. So Elton John, Billy Joel, Jerry Lee Lewis, Marvin Hamlish. You know, just – and it's it's a lot of – the thing about – Going to an Elton John show is you really have to like Elton John, yeah, or Billy Joel or yeah. whoever. Uh, and if you if you have listened to three Elton John songs and that's enough for you, well, there's, there's still another twelve coming your way. So <laughs> you know. So yeah. I always wanted a mixed bag that wasn't just a shameless compilation show. Not that there's anything wrong with compilation shows. Sure, sure. I just I've done them, and I, I wanted to advance and, and and grow a little bit. So the only way around it was to go. Okay, well, here's this list of pianists that I love, and I had a little notebook and on the left hand side I wrote the name and on the right I wrote why do I like them yeah and a pattern emerged I like them at different stages of my life cool and I thought okay so that's the concept but how do I link that to the show otherwise it's just me at a piano singing and it's a compilation show what's the point Mm. so I needed a hook I knew that the title had to contain keys Mm -hmm. because a handful of keys were seminal for me yeah and for the audiences out there, they see keys and they suddenly put at ease. Okay. And I thought, okay, so what What could I do? Um, keyboards. Uh, Ian had another show called um, Keyboard Killers. I was like, okay, well, that's taken. Yeah. Uh Jerry Lee Lewis was known as the killer. so. <laughs> and then I realized Key Change okay. could be a really cool title. Furthermore... As I'd grown older, my taste in music had changed. Therefore there I'd had go. a key change at different phases of my life. So it's like okay. okay, I know how to do this now. So so you're
0: doing the what's called heavy lifting. You you are revealing your own story and your own vulnerability well, in
2: the conversation to, I, I didn't, to explain it. I didn't mean for it to become so personal. Yeah. I knew that I had to justify why I was singing the songs.
0: Okay. Otherwise the
2: audiences are going, well, Why is he doing meatloaf? now? he just did Disney. Like what the hell's going on? So from that point of view it sort of grew. And I think the biggest trick that I, I'm very glad that I took a, a leap with is I made sure that I brought people into the show, that if I had a moment on stage of like huge vulnerability, I'd feel safe with those people being around me mm. and witnessing it and then supporting me in it. And I think the, the, the alchemy of the show came from the fact that, you know, between Cole, Luca, Kieran, uh, Dan and Gabriel, who were the initial cast... Um, we, during rehearsal, we crafted that show together and added little things. And mm. Cole would have wonderful little um, stories about, like I did Claire de Lune. And he said, oh, my God, yeah, I remember that was in Ocean's Eleven. And I'd had that thought, but I'd sort of thrown it away because I thought, I'm the only person who would think. I was like, oh, that's great. And so we all sort of built it. And the music turned out to be personal for the players as well. So they mm. played it with More. an ownership that the audience picked up. And, and the joy that you saw in a handful of keys... Yeah. Our audience is found in our show. Yeah. yeah. So much so that it became hands down the most successful show I've ever had.
0: Okay. Ever.
2: Was, how many of the shows that you've performed in have been your own productions? Half and half. Okay. So there, so, is, so there is
0: a big chunk of your career that's been oh, your own absolutely. original stuff. And <laughs> in different
2: venues as well. Like I've i I've covered everything from small British comedy review shows of like Flanders and Swan all the way through to full-scale like musicals that I've written about the life of Jerry Lee Lewis, for instance. Mm. Um, so I've done about nine or ten original shows. And speaking of the the idea of royalties,
0: production things coming back to you down the line, have some of these others lived on without you?
2: Have um, you seen any of them? Two of the scripts that uh, that I that I wrote. Actually received interest, and one of them is actually being developed as we speak. So without kind of cool. without you, which Nothing is which
0: me. is nice. Wow, that's it's cool. nice. that they can yeah. start living on. And then and then sometimes that needs time. Sometimes it's not going to oh happen immediately because everyone is like, "It's yours. You just did it," or it was a few years ago. But provided that archive is protected and the the score is written down oh, yeah. and published and and posted uh, to you hmm. with a available <laughs> date available, yeah. Then, um, yeah, then those things can live on, which is very
2: exciting. Yeah. I think the only drawback in our industry at the moment is because original work is such an incredible risk, because the audiences, particularly post COVID, at least my experience of audiences in the theatre, has been that they want to stick with the safety of what they know. Yeah, sure. And a cultural curiosity is very expensive because it might not be worth a 200 Rand that you plonked down, mm. but you went and you tried it. Yeah. Um, when I was in Greece, I realized that there's a majority of the market that go and see things that they've never heard of before because they want to see yeah and we might not necessarily have the the budget for that at the moment the other thing about developing shows is it takes so much time which means a lot of rehearsal and as we know nobody buys tickets for rehearsal so it's (sighs) an expensive process yeah it's just you in the room and you have to rent that space that equipment pay the actors pay the musicians and then you have to do a staged reading which is generally free to get as many people in to form the piece and that's phase one. And there are about twelve stages to writing a show.
0: Wild. So no, there's a reason why there is a lot of money that goes into it. Broadway tickets are so expensive. Absolutely. I remember getting um, getting this one ticket to um go watch Book of Mormon and when I found out how much it costed, I was like, I felt sick. Yeah. But it was a combination of birthday, Christmas, friends, you know, we'd sort of done this whole thing. And I was like, I really hope this place is amazing. But by the end of it, I was like, "Oh my god, it
2: was worth every yeah.
0: every rand." Now, there's a different converted. situation but, because but, the yeah. amount
2: of unions that you're paying for with that ticket—that's oh, the fundamental difference. We have wow. no unions for, for actors really that require that amount of money. Saga is still coming up. Tada is still coming up. The only it's real called tada tada. Yeah. That's lovely. The association of. <laughs> Dance, dramatic. something Ta-da. dramatic. Is there something like that? They, they definitely uh, would. Dramatic like, arts. The association of dramatic arts. Okay. Tada! I mean, come on. That's lovely. Um, but I mean, you have a bada, so fair, yeah. fair. fair, fair. Yeah, yeah, So from that point of view, <laughs> how's that for a throwback to well the conversation? Done. Nice. Um, but the bottom line is, a Broadway ticket is that is that much because yeah. those theatres are standalone buildings. Yeah. They're not attached to a mall yeah. or a casino. Yeah. They are standalone buildings in the heart of Manhattan. So there's real estate. Yeah. Then there's friends, the labor. Yeah. Then there's the unions. Then there's the union dues. Then, of course, there are all the other actors, things that you have to pay. Like, it's a lot.
0: I remember a friend of mine uh, who was a sort of ballet performer turned theater maker in Berlin. I think she was doing some stuff in Germany. And she was like, there's certain, certain things where you're like, can, can you get on the ladder and do that? And the guy's like, I don't get on the ladder. Mm-hmm. Or like... I don't do this or I don't do that. I can, I can go this far, but then I don't go that far. Which is like, in uh, South Africa, that climbs it. He just gets well, up the, there the, and he the, does it.
2: The international stuff that I've done, like I'll be on stage and someone will spill a glass of water or something or a prop or something. and I'm a South African, so what do I do? Oh, I'll just get a towel and I'll just... Mm. Uh, please no, don't no. touch that. That's my job. Please leave that alone. Yeah, yeah. Just like, whoa. And I think there is such a thing as over-unionization. Sure. I think that, that can get in the way of the immediacy... Of that moment, that where a collaboration needs to happen, mm. as soon as you halt it with various permissions, it becomes very difficult to get that momentum going. Sure,
1: yeah. So,
2: yeah. I'm not bashing it. I'm not putting it down. What I'm saying is, I because I've experienced another way around it that really, you know, worked with results. I'd hate for that to not be a possibility for me.
1: Yeah. Oh, that actually happened to me once. My first commercial. So I'd done twelve short films. And a whole bunch of like other things for brands, brag there, you know, can, uh, well student films, you know, <laughs> let's it's like lipstick on a pig situation there, but bad short films, and then it must close Um yeah, so on my first commercial, um glass dropped on the floor as part of the plot. Mm. And then we needed to move on. And because we'd done these hustling student films, and Russ will know this as well. I just like leapt forward and I'm like, cool, I got the dustpan and I'm starting. The makeup lady who's a little bit older than me and more experienced, she's like, Cole, what are you doing? Stop. Go away. You're the director. Sit in your chair. And I was just like, no, I want to help. It's fine. Like, let's do it. we can like sit in the up- interest of time. Yeah. In the interest yeah. of time. And you're so used to it. And you just have to sit back and go, oh, OK, cool. I, I don't do this anymore. There's an art department person for that. Infrastructure. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. It's, it's so interesting to learn learn mm. how different places and environments can be. Yeah. Yeah. What are you uh, watching at the moment? Do you do you consume?
0: Do you manage to consume stuff?
2: I, I do, actually. Um, what
0: are some of the things that you've
2: I actually appreciated did, did, recently? I did something really, really weird. I went back and I've, I've rediscovered Bob's Burgers, number one. Oh, mm. <laughs> cool. Which I absolutely love. I love the animated sort of iconoclastic humor. Yeah. Because uh, there's something about Peter Griffin in Family Guy where he can yeah. say things, but because he's drawn, yeah. there's a safety net there. yeah. yeah. I mean, they're becoming a little bit PC, which is kind of taking away from the whole point of the show. But I'm a big Ricky Gervais fan, so that's my, yeah. my style of humor. So um, I'm a bit late to the party with like Schitt's Creek. Sure, sure. Are you um, enjoying it? I, I, I tend to, when I do watch stuff at the moment, it's, it's all very frothy. Mm. But um, I've started getting into the menu, oh, which cool. kind of messed me up a little bit. A little? A little bit. Uh, and now with this The Bear, that series oh, has come yes. up. I'm curious about that. But the latest series of Black Mirror is yeah. making me want to do a lot of walking. Just to filter stuff through. Because when I watch the early stuff... I mean, Charlie Brooker, I think, is a genius. Yeah. You know, if you look at the Philomena Kunk stuff alone. like. Um, but Black Mirror, it's the plausibility of it. Yeah. yeah. That's what frightens me. And no. I, I generally... I mean, I don't really... Like horror or suspense or that sort of thing, yeah, because a lot of it's far-fetched. The horror that really freaks me out is the plausible stuff,
0: yeah. so like the the first episode in the new or the first movie in the new chunk that have been released is all about AI and the use of AI. Yeah. and um Selma Hayek sort of sold her her image, and now she's in the show, but this is within the show, within the show, yeah.
2: I think we're too close to that actually happening. We just spoke about this in it.
1: this week's episode. Sorry. Yeah. That's the actors are striking against that very idea that they're going to sell their identities very to be used in AI engines without their permission or rights. You know, so it's it released like last month, and it's being protested against this month.
2: Well, I mean, I was I was going to go watch the new Indiana Jones movie, and then I listened to your opinions. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that whole section in the movie with the younger. Like yeah, we've, had, we, 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 we've had a few instances now like in uh, uh avengers endgame with the young michael j michael j fox forgive me michael douglas yeah that freaked me out mm. yeah and then in star wars with with um oh leia no um peter, peter, cushing. peter
1: cushing in rogue one
2: yeah. I, I could not yeah. believe what i was seeing yeah, yeah. um what's his name
1: uh, it's Admiral Tarkin Tarkin That's it Yeah, the, the foul stench yes. Grand Moff Tarkin <laughs> And
2: I was just like This is This is Yeah Like I, I was I remember Yeah At the end of Rogue One When Leia turned around and said You know What do they give you And she says Hope dun, 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 dun. I was just like I don't know how I feel Yeah And I understand <laughs> she'd passed away So we had to In that instance mm. But I remember thinking What's Going to stop them doing that To the guys who were alive yeah like that's terrifying for me and then they took all the old footage of harrison ford from every film he'd done when he was younger created this it's like real life sims yeah you know it's i find that terrifying have it you seen terrifying.
0: the dude that does the deep fake of tom cruise there's a oh, guy yes yeah that guy on instagram yes, he, yes yes he's obviously got a frame that's remarkably similar but then he uses deep fake to become tom cruise and then he's dedicated himself as an actor to sort of mimicking his yeah movements have you seen the guy acting? that does elvis i oh, no, i haven't seen it it's elvis.
2: chilling really yeah because yeah. he's first of all his his face shape is Similar. very close so the yeah. deep fake is so spot on you know in like in it was a captain america where they had steve as the young skinny guy yes yeah. like that i get why yes. yeah needed he, to could, he couldn't christian bail it i right. understand it but i i look at that in from a from a funny point of view i'm actually kind of Thrilled from for theatre makers' point of view because you can't do that on stage. Yeah, yeah, we're still Consisting. safe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, they can try with holograms, like the ABBA concert. Oh yeah, but into I think that's why I do a lot of my my stuff in, in in shows is like key change. For instance, there's no fourth wall. It's very much talking to the audience, not at. So the room for improv and ad libbing and incorporating things that might happen during the course of the show renders AI impossible for us. What, what's mm. the difference
0: between to and at?
2: I think with a, a performance that you're watching um, where there's a fourth wall, you talk at the audience as if they are not there, as if as if you don't see them. Okay. Whereas in a in a review or a cabaret or the sort of Frankenstein production that we do in terms of <laughs> genre, I'm I'm literally looking at people and engaging with them and talking to them, including yeah. them, as opposed to pretending that they don't exist. Okay, got um, you. Yeah, 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 and. it's it's interesting because I think that's going to have to start informing a lot of the theatrical creation moving forward just to safeguard Mm. exactly
1: it's interesting if anything Mm. it becomes more a more organic entertainment experience that people start seeking out and
2: from a business point of view they'll come again yeah because it's never the same show twice
0: Mm. yeah that is what we love at the Bioscope the fact that when we do the the live improvised theatre shows or when we do comedy I just love the fact that like
2: you are part of this moment
0: that can just never be repeated.
2: Well, that's technically what theater is. Yeah, You know, film is preserved and is that every single time. Mm. Whereas theater, even if you are an incredibly consistent performer, it's impossible to Mm. deliver it exactly the same way at the same time, at the same moment, in the same place every night. There's always an element of organic Mm. creation there. As soon as you take that heavily scripted aspect away... Um, and you add that spontaneity again, that sort of extreme sport aspect where okay, let's take a leap, let's mm. see what happens. Yeah, there's an energy that that creates that the audience goes, this was a bespoke experience just for me. Yeah, and we're in an age now where bespoke is the name of the game. Yeah, oh, yeah. Nobody wants a mass-produced product anymore. They want something just for them, and you know, bragging rights. So At they least can the then feeling go and that it was just them. Yeah. it was
1: like all the times in the Joburg run. Uh, where we were struggling with the load shedding and the way john had to integrate that into our shows because it would interrupt us unpredictably because they would say it at eight but yeah. then you know when's it going to go
2: for 25 past you mm. know so we'd start the show and then halfway through a number Ooh. and everything in the show is electronics i can't play acoustically in the dark yeah. so we incorporated that gag that yeah. could happen at any point and it became a thing where audiences were telling each other, oh, I was there this night. It was, it was better than yours because... <laughs> and you sort of created like a badge of honor. Yeah. And, you know, in a funny way, it, it really added to it. And every now and again, we'd have a show where it was absolutely fine. We went straight through without any load sharing. And I thought, it's oh, the load sharing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because
1: <laughs> then John would also like cycle in one or two numbers that like... So we start to become familiar with the show and you can feel like in your first couple of weeks or shows yeah. that I'm still laughing at all the jokes because they're fresh to me yeah. and like, they're funny and they're delivered differently every mm. night. So you see the nuance and it's, it's just wild wildly
2: unprofessional inconsistency. That's <laughs> essentially what we're <laughs> celebrating.
0: here.
1: We're <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what would happen is John would start in order to anticipate low chain coming and not having it interrupt a number, he would start throwing in these things that we hadn't seen before as the band, yeah. not only for the audience, yeah, yeah, yeah. but then it became this entertainment thing for us. Yeah. And then what that does to your energy for the rest of the show and then you start to remember it. Oh yeah. And that's like in a in a show where it's like 50 performances that we did at the start mm. of this year you can't like differentiate one night from the next. You'll go oh that, that first one where he did yeah. that number for the first time. Yeah. I remember it. And it makes cool. it so
0: fresh. I saw uh, I saw you got yourself a green card.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I what is what, what was that process and what does that mean for you? I applied in 2017. Okay. And uh, I had a, a I suppose you can call it a theatre angel who um, sponsored, like endorsed the entire process. Because back then it was, it was three payments of two and a half thousand dollars. Back then, yeah, sure. Um, and I, I'd had a conversation with her, and she was saying, "You know, darling, when are you going to Broadway?" I was like, "Well, I, I'm in the process. I'm busy. You know, I'm working on it." She said, "What do you mean?" I was like, "Well, I'm just. It's going to take some time." I didn't want to say because you don't want to become like a trawler yeah you know Mm. um there's too many of those people that are like oh if only i had uh," and then they hint and then you know what i mean i I hate that yeah that's sort of i suppose you could call it uh, convenient poverty i can't bear it yeah so i eventually she said well what are you doing i said well i'm saving it's just going to take a while but i'm I'm on it she said well how much is it i said well it's this and i i'm I'm here so probably by the end of next year we can get it and once i do i'll let you know and two days later, she called me up. She said, um, not a good enough reason. Um, if you can guarantee me two house seats for your first show on Broadway, it's done. Oh, wild! Started the process. It was going very well. And you basically have to compile. So back then, I was applying for an Alien of Extraordinary Ability visa, which I think is so cool. Wow. That is awesome. Man. Um, and I had to compile a book of reviews, box office receipts. Uh, letters of recommendation, endorsement, blah blah blah.
0: Yeah, which is to basically justify to the government why you are exceptional, why this can't be done by someone there,
2: and what I'd be able to contribute to the economy. Yes, that's a big wow. part of it because it's yeah. a business there. Yeah, we don't, they don't use the word business as a bad word the way we tend to in theatre here. Mm. Here, you're branded a mercenary if you do it for the business, mm. and there, you're branded as a professional. Yeah, interesting. So. Yeah, it's an interesting mindset shift that has to happen. And I got a call from my lawyer. Um, not a call. It was an email. Out of nowhere, he said, don't ask any questions. Uh, can you get the following documents submitted by the end of X date? I was like, okay, cool. And I did. And two weeks later, Trump became president.
0: Uh, so he knew to expedite it.
2: Yeah. And he, he, he basically what happened is um, – Immigration policy came under review. They can't say yeah. frozen, came under review. Yeah. So I was the last 13, part of the last 13 applications that went through
0: oh, wow. that I was
2: granted. But what I hadn't read is that it was no longer a visa, it was now a proper green card. I'd been upgraded
0: yeah, because on the strength of my case. The, a, a green card is quite a special thing because it effectively is, it's got the sort of functionality of a visa, but it's a more long term permanent it's it's basically
2: citizenship without the ability to vote
0: yeah so it's like it's your ability to work and live but you're not an actual citizen yet. yeah mm. but it's, it, it's but i don't think other countries years, have that
2: if you if you keep yeah. it going uh, within 3 years you can apply for citizenship yeah so for long as years. you're not out of the country uh, for more than 6 6 months at yeah. a time yeah. that's it
0: so so is your plan at this point now that you've got the actual card is your plan to Get over there.
2: So yeah, I mean, I, w- I you know, I'm I, I sort of on track to join the cast of Phantom on Broadway at some point. That Lovely. was kind of happening, uh, but then it closed. Okay. Lull. Um, I, I basically got to the point where they'd said, okay, well, once your papers are sorted, sorted, let us know.
0: Okay. Oh this is God. this is the production of
2: yeah of Phantom of the Opera, and one of my big sort of partly sentimental but uh, also professional um, goals was to be the first Phantom on Broadway who happened to be a South African. Yeah. That I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I don't want to get like too philosophical about it. I was on a cruise ship um, doing a, a job, and um, I just found out that it was now updated to a green card. So, you know, all, all the obstacles were gone. Yeah. Three days later, Phantom announced they were closing. Oh. From what reason? Uh, just they had not recovered financially after COVID, and okay. it, it cost about nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars a week to run, and they yeah. just weren't getting that. Um,
0: but I mean, it can come back.
2: Well, so yeah, I I I, I sat in the cabin um, and had like full Titanic vibes. I was like, oh, where's Rose? I want to fall off a door, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just hold on. Tom. I was like, hold on. Hold on. It's yeah. like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, well. You know, fuck it. I just need to. contact. Jesus, you've got the key to the fucking door. Well, yeah. I just, I was, I was focusing on the door that had just closed, but I hadn't realised that like the you've key got I this had this master key now. Precisely. Yeah. Um. So I, I, sent out emails to everybody I'd ever worked with in the states. Yeah. And suddenly I got interest from Chicago, and suddenly I got interest from. Them, and I was just like, okay, Chicago, the city or the play, the musical, nice. on Broadway. Okay. And <laughs> I would not have sent those mails out. If, if Phantom stayed open.
1: Yeah. Because wow. I was like,
2: okay, well, there I'm going to go. Yeah, because Not before
1: only, that, you were so enamored with Phantom. That was like the dream. Well, right? I also
2: sort of obsessed about it so much. Yeah. And I suppose there was an element of ego that, well, I, I'm due. Okay. You know, I've, I've done it for all this time. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm owed. I think for yeah.
1: context for everyone, how many times have you done it? What's the, the track record there? Oh,
2: my goodness. It was well over, it was close to 700 odd performances. I must so. have watched you, yeah. Um, Teatro?
0: uh i think it was um older uh, state no that wasn't me oh.
2: lol. lol so <laughs> um yeah it was it was interesting from the point of view that i i think i'd become a bit lazy in my dream okay. of doing it okay. yeah i'd taken it for granted yeah um a bit of like stale entitlement had crept in and i didn't realize that and I remember sitting there going, why am I so devastated that one show's closing when there's the whole rest of Broadway there? Like, why am I thinking that I'm only a phantom? Yeah. So, started that journey. And recently, I went to the States for six weeks. Two reasons. Number one, I needed to be in the country whilst the green card was being printed. Yeah. Because then they know you're there. Okay. Secondly, I thought, well, let me just, while I'm waiting for that process, before Mm. I head home, let me go and meet people. Let me go and talk to people. Let me go and sing for people. And I did. And what was very good about that trip is I realized I don't have to do that old 90s thing where I'm going to New York, so I have to sell everything, go and rent a shitty little apartment of like 30 square meters, mm. you know, eat crackers for six months and be really poor until I make it. Yeah. Post-COVID, with the, the technology at our disposal, even the Americans that are in neighboring states, they send tapes. Yeah. They don't just go and live in the city and wait for it. That's a waste of money and time. So I realized... I can still have South Africa as my home, but I could have New York as my office. Uh, interesting. It's possible. Yeah, Amazing. You can actually have it both ways. Mm. Um, because a lot of the contracts that I'd be looking at now in terms of Broadway replacements are like six months. Yeah, Doable. Some of them are six to eight weeks. Mm. Dream. Amazing. So, look, if I join a production that starts from the ground up and we eventually take it to Broadway, I'd have to be available for a year and a half.
0: Do you have... Do you have people around you here? Are you quite solo? Are you, are you a lone wolf?
2: I, I've, got a, I've got a small core group of people here, but that, that wouldn't change.
0: But you're no partner? Or oh, yeah.
2: What you got? Oh, yeah. So what, what I'm saying is in terms of my, my little world that I've got, I'm secure enough that I can go away for a year if I need to.
0: Okay.
2: Because at the same time, we're not living in the 20s where only the Wright brothers are able to fly. We have several airlines that are – you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's a different world. With WhatsApp calling, you can call anybody from anywhere with Wi-Fi. You don't have to, like, put your roaming on. You know, it, it's possible. Yeah. And what I realized going to New York was I have a really lovely base in South Africa. I mm. met a guy called Paulo Jot, who was uh, in South Pacific a while back on Broadway. He won a Tony. He's from Brazil. He still has his home in Brazil. Yeah, sure. He has an apartment in New York that he that he stays at when he's doing a show. Mm. And that's it. Yeah. You know, it is... You don't have to do that old thing of, like, getting rid of your life to go and try build another. Yeah. You don't have to do that anymore. So it was a good trip from that point of view. Okay. Um, But what what really was quite cool is I came back to South Africa and I was like, I know we have our stuff here. I know we have our corruption. We have our load shitting. We have this and that. But honestly, I would be very happy to still keep my home here Yeah. so that I don't have to pay $6.75 for a coffee every time. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, so the much quality more to it. Of life no, the Africa, grass it is. is greener on the other side. That's because it's astroturf. Do you know what I mean? Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So lovely. I love that.
0: I think on that note, I think we should. Um,
2: I need yeah. to get my videos actually before yeah. I go. Mm.
0: Would you want to watch Tick Tick Boom again? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to rent that because I think that's cool. important. Um, what would you want to see more of now?
2: Do you know I actually went on a Steven Spielberg kick a while back. Well
0: done. Okay.
2: Um, there was a great documentary called Spielberg. I haven't watched it. You've got to watch it. Yeah. It's have, you, have you seen The
0: Fabelmans? No. Okay, we're going to rent that for you. Okay, yeah. cool. That's his new f- film that he was nominated for, which is very autobiographical. It's about his childhood. Now he and his talks. Parents. Uh, he
2: talks about that in the documentary. So yeah, I want to see. But the other thing is, I, I want to try and get hold of Close Encounters. I calculate. want to go down that road again. I haven't Amazing. seen Close Encounters, haven't So you? do you know oh. the whole theory about the third kind, what the third kind is? No. So there are three types of encounters. The first encounter… With an, with an alien of great ability. What is your… What extraordinary. Is extraordinary ability. Um, so there was… I, I don't know where I saw this, but it explained the title. Because I was like, why the third kind? So th- a, a Close Encounter of the first kind has something to do with… Um, seeing a ufo
0: just seeing it yeah 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 it's um, your le- it's your level of exposure yeah. to the alien and then yeah. the
2: second ti- the second kind is um i think i think it's verbal contact verbal or, or something yeah auditory. but the third kind is physical yeah it's yeah. like right in front of you so i was like oh okay that's great but i forgot that richard dreyfus is in that exactly movie. so yeah i'll, I'll take It's that so on.
1: bizarre that he was like this incredible actor from jaws mr Holland's opus Close and Cows of the Third Kind. Mr. And Holland's then, Opus was a good movie. That was really yeah, good. his son's name was Coltrane. That was my nickname with Lindsay um, okay. and Trinity. There's a very, a in Trinity. There's a very interesting movie
0: coming out called Jewels mm-hmm. that's got Ben Kinsley in it. And it's like, here's the pitch. Imagine making E.T. today, but instead of a little kid encountering the alien, imagine like a fuddy-duddy old guy. So up. But an alien. Yeah. Yeah. But But like this alien, this alien crash lands in his garden, and he's this old guy that everyone thinks is a loon because he's talking about oh, and by the way, an alien landed in my backyard last night, and then they they encounter this alien, and this it's this like humanoid, quite cute little creature that they like get to know. And look that after. sounds great. And then it's it's so, from the trailer it looks kind of similar to an ET in that they got to protect it because if the government finds out, then That's you know they're cool. going to take this oh, cool. this thing away. I don't yeah. know where it's coming, but I just saw a trailer for it. That is cool. so cool.
1: I think as a double bull, mm. I think Close Encounters and The Fablemans is really good. Maybe watching The Fablemans first and then watching Close Encounters yeah. because
2: well, both are about the family as well. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So Graham and I, the other the other clerk here. We have this because it's one of our favorite Spielberg's as well, and we have this disagreement of over what it's about. Mm. Um, and I see it as a divorce because it's about an obsession, like a midlife crisis. Yeah, and he like physically destroys his home, like as a metaphor in yeah. that movie. Uh, this and is then, in Close Encounters. Yeah, okay. And then uh, Graham is of the opinion, I think, that it's it's just about like an affair. I think not not a divorce, mm. not about separation. So it's about trust. Yeah, but his yeah. mother. I don't know who it was that pointed it out to him. Because I know he had discussions with Francois Truffaut. Have you pronounce his name? Truffaut. Truffaut. Whatever. <laughs> Jeez, croissant. No, I'm uh, sure it's more French. But I mean, in my it's head, it's It's more French. He acts in it. Mm-hmm. He acts in it, the French New Wave director. And I think it was him that said um, that his mother was a musician, his father was a scientist. And in the film, they use music to talk to the aliens. Yes. And he never realized that he was actually subconsciously processing this. And I think the discussion that we've been having about key changes is like a similar thing. We're talking about like you're putting yourself into the work, right? And then you discover that. I mean,
2: I think that the the sort of side story about this that I've only just remembered now is I had one of those, you know, it's like a small keyboard like that where the speaker is a round thing on the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there's no black keys. It's all just white key. In fact, they were different colors. And there were all these preloaded sounds… And songs in that. And then it would mm. light up the keys and you had to try I think it was like a cognitive exercise thing. Mm. But one of them was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Always. And I hadn't seen the movie. I was a kid. Mm. Dun, 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 dun. Mm. And I was like, but the words don't fit. Close Encounters. So I would always <laughs> play it. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> Just sort of stay there. And um, when I saw the, the movie the first time, it, 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 with it, that whole thing is there with the lights. Yeah. And it's a it's a baseball stadium, isn't it? I don't know. Look where they where they play the music or something. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. On like a baseball organ. So I remember putting the because the other thing that had baseball theme on that keyboard was dun 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 dun. So I used to do a medley for my 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 folks whenever I did one of my little concerts in the lounge, and it was always a double fill of dun 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 dun. So Best it's, mashup ever! Absolutely, I
0: think I think there's two categories of of kids: kids that have put on a lounge performance, yeah. kids that wouldn't in their wildest dreams do it. I I have all three of us. I have performed a number of lounge performances. Oh my god! Some of which were even Buddy Holly themed. There you go. Where we came out to the CD, and I was Buddy Holly, and like my parents and their friends. Just had to endure. <laughs> I'm sure they were proud of me, but yep. I'm sure they were like, "Oh God, they're going to." Put I on
2: did. A show. I did
1: the sound of music once. Now we have to. Now we have uh, well, to do the show.
2: Well, I I look back at the videos that I'm recording now, uh, uh, sort of converting now. I'm like, imagine being a parent having to watch that shit. I know. Well, it's, it's up there with putting <laughs> the crap art on the fridge. It's no, like, but awful. they no, but they
0: love it, and I can tell you now. Last week, I was playing those arena shows, as you said, but one of the things I had to do in the week. Which surprisingly, I took great joy, being just as excited about, was watching my niece in her uh, primary school production of Moana. But you see, there's a And plot. I was like, no, it it's wasn't. not self-scripted. <laughs> but I was like, this is so lovely that my I get to go back to these school plays, and I'm now watching a member of my family, and I and it was lovely. There was a moment where I was like just remember this is primary school. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. High, high school will be of a higher caliber because there were a few times where I was like, Oh, this other person is a bit cheesy yeah. <laughs> or like we could have, we could have staged
2: that a bit better. He's but not- I was like primary school, primary school. Remember it's primary school. I mean, it's different. It's, it's, it's a member of your family. I suppose I have to.
0: And she had this one scene. So she was one, she had this one like 10 second moment. I was so proud of her. And I was like, it just took me back to yeah, like I mean, being in those things and how much that meant to her and
2: just the seeds of it. I, I, I hope that I'm able to have that moment one day when I have kids. I mm-hmm. mean, because otherwise, can you imagine my note sessions with my oh kids? Oh, my God. No, John. That's forbidden until <laughs> yeah, they're you know like I mean? at like, least 18. Um, like, I don't know what your intention is in this moment, but you, what you're coming across is under-energized. <laughs> I just need you to know. And your kid's like, Dad, I want to be a criminal lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, it's like a wonderful, um, is it a... I don't know if it's a Key and Peele sketch where the kid sits his parents' down and says, uh, Mom, Dad, I'm straight. And oh, yes. like, this is not my child. He goes on and on. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, hopefully I'm able to just, like, fall in love. But I also don't want to be a stage parent where I'm just like, I know, I My don't. kid's are most talented. Six, and seven, then you look at the eight. videos. And, like, my mother used to tell people that I was extraordinary. And I look back and, like, the woman was delusional.
1: Totally. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, <that> like, is, <laughs> it's her belief that made you as good as you
0: are. No, that's important. You got to be told yeah. you're special in some in some shape or form. I mean, given, but not all the time. Yeah, not to the point that you become a precocious little child. But yeah. but there is something so profound about having your parents give you that encouragement, all the stamp of approval. I mean, yeah. and just that respect and just being like you you were special. Mm-hmm. Like there was something about it, mm-hmm. and then you just grow up going like I've got this.
1: Mm-hmm. Anyway. I don't know if it's worth including in that discussion about watching your kids perform, but there's a tweet that I've never forgotten um it was actually screenshot and put on the subreddit kids are fucking stupid which is brilliant to watch by the way Uh, and this guy said um i had to cancel my tickets to glastonbury this weekend because my children had to do a school thing or like there was an emergency whatever and i was devastated my kids found out they put a production on for me in the back garden um and i cannot stress this enough it was fucking awful (laughs) 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 (laughs)
2: <laughs> 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 it's like a call uh, yeah. Oh, that's brilliant So uh, good Amazing
0: What a lovely <laughs> note to end on Listen, Jonathan I'm, It was great to meet you, man You too And I'm so proud of Yeah, everything that you've done I mean, I think it's amazing And I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for you I guess is the better Thank term uh, um, And I'm excited to see Where all of this goes And what the green card can unlock Because I know that that yeah. can just make things So much easier And do you know
2: what the thing is? Once I figure that out the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to come back and I'm going to go to as many colleges as I can and let them know. Yeah. yeah. Because if I could have a conversation with Craig Abani in the school hall of Northcliffe North High School in 2004, yeah. damn right I'm going to have those conversations with kids once I know what I can yeah. tell them. Lovely. It's right. amazing, John. Just going to take a handful of mints out the bowl here and uh, thank you. And,
0: and be on your way. Thanks, yeah. man. Thank you for your time. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thanks, John. All right. What a great chat. All right. I really appreciated getting to know him. Yeah. He speaks so well. <laughs> and he's witty
1: as well. He's yeah, so witty. There's
0: there like quick little quips where he knows he's made oh, yeah. a joke and he, he, he's, he sort of sneered at you and I. Yeah, I know.
1: Uh, it's been a joy being backstage with him for such a long period of time and having these moments where we get to know each other better. Because he, like people that are innately funny. Can see that I'm an easy target for a laugh because I laugh at anything. Yeah, and you can just see him always do that. He like, like cracks a joke and then gives me a little side eye, like wanting to see my laugh.
0: (laughs) You know? No, it was a real treat, and and yeah, especially when one speaks of the Buddy Holly show. I mean, I've expressed it in the, in the chat, but it was just so formative for me. Oh yeah. And representation, like just me, seeing a dude become a musician, playing music, I just was like, I can do this. I can it buy, was be a it part was a that. watershed moment. And I want to perform as well. Yeah. Theater and music. Um one thing I want to say, a quick little thing, I didn't articulate it well enough in the chat. The drumming teacher that I said called himself a misographonologist. Yeah. It it was quite important that he would bring that up at dinner parties to it was a it was a litmus test to see whether someone was pretentious or not. That's an important thing to mention. So uh, so when someone so he learned that when someone said, "What do you do?" and he says, "I'm a drummer," he felt like he was always a bit judged, so what he then would do is he would he made up this term he's a mesogram phonologist, <laughs> so that if someone was a bit stuck up their own ass, they'd go, "Oh, okay, cool, yeah like Amazing. I, know what, I know what that yeah, is exactly and, I know a few of those but the people that were like "What's that what is that, is that and then, a he'd be like, then he'd be like, "Okay, i'm a drummer, I make it as a joke <laughs> and that was his way of 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 testing whether someone was pretentious or not.
1: Interesting. It's interesting funny, how we do that, right? Funny thing, yeah. Mm, wow. What do, you, what do you say you are? It's quite hard to say. It is quite hard when people ask me because I'm kind of just like, um, I teach English online, I'm a session bassist, and I sometimes direct.
2: Yeah. And well, I'm just
1: like that I'm an artist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a storyteller. I tell stories with my music. I remember <laughs> someone once at the Bioscope
0: just referred to himself as an entrepreneur. And I was like, oh, no, bad. <laughs> You're going to have to do better than yeah, that. Yeah, you're going to have to do better. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's been someone's. you, an I've, I've
1: seen Tinder conversations screenshotted on Reddit where people say I'm an entrepreneur. It means, oh, so you're unemployed. No. You know? No. Um, um, cool. So,
0: what I liked about this chat, yeah, and I think this is proving a little bit of an evolution in our conversations with guests, is I'm trying to to actually flavor their life story... With their love of cinema. And I'm trying to bring cinema into the conversation. Yeah. I don't know whether you felt
1: it. I can't see it happening.
0: But this is, this is what I realized would be the best way to fuse cinema and film and TV shows and what the, what, what the video store was all about into these guest chats. Because I think, I've, as I've done a bunch of these now, mm. I've come to realize what I think is interesting is going at a certain point in your life. Like, what was the movie that was there? Like what were the movies that shaped you especially yeah. for the people that have become creative people in the sense that they've output yes. Yes. work or they had a certain kind of creative vision. You know what were the films that shaped you? I think that's, that's a quite a, I think that's quite a cool thing. I I have really loved the podcast Desert Island Discs. And what I've loved about it, okay, for those who don't know, it's a very simple format and they've been doing it long before podcasts even existed. It's the BBC. They take someone who's interesting and they say, you are now going to be cast off to a desert island. What are the seven or I think it's eight songs that you would take with you onto the desert island? And it's interesting to go, oh, he chose that. But what's more interesting is why. Yeah. And these people, famous, famous people, I mean, it's a great podcast, give you so much more than you'd ever think. They they actually become quite vulnerable and they – They open up quite a lot of themselves and I think there is the interesting nugget. Yes. Whether you're a fan of that person or not. If you are a fan, it's even better because now you are understanding your favorite filmmaker or comedian or musician a bit better. But more just understanding just humanity and how people work and I find that interesting. That's very hey, cool. It's so, so
1: true that we can have those little watershed moments when we watch movies, you know? And I think it's also a social thing when you're introduced to people. And like someone says to me at a party, I love Old Boy. And I go, Oh, do you? You know? <laughs> yeah. You we're, get now, that, we're now connected. Yeah, we're connected like this. I don't know you, but we're there. Speaking of Old Boy. Oh, yeah? The Bioscope
0: is going to do a special 20 anniversary. Oh remastered oh
1: edition yeah because they're Boy. re-releasing it this year it's 20 years today. I've been searching for a Blu-ray copy of Old Boy for the longest time yeah. and it hasn't been restored and it's finally fucking happening it's finally
0: happening and um, tickets are already on sale for a dumpling box screening in August the Brilliant. 18th Friday the 18th I'll still be in Cape Town I know but we're going to do more screenings of it We we uh, the film is being released by a very cool distribution company here in South Africa and they know me and they know that this film, especially this re-release, is perfect for the bioscope. So they're allowing me to do many screenings.
1: If those people are listening, I love you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, all boys special. And I think exactly that. Yeah. So 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 here's what I'd like to propose, and I think maybe you and I can can do this um, for this cash up chat. Just okay. to experiment it. Okay. I've given this a bit of thought. Yeah. I think there are three significant layers to our to our onion. Our oh, yeah. life, our, our stories, our, our, how we build our, ourselves as, as people yes.
1: in terms of our opinions on music and I'm art. Okay. I'm just laughing at the White Lotus because Jennifer Coolidge has a line where she's like, and that's it. That's the center of the onion. That's <laughs> who I really am. Well, yeah. so there it's we that. go.
0: Yeah. And I think the first layer of the onion is when you are becoming a personality for the first time, which is young. Like, four, five, six, seven. Sure. Like, you're speaking, you're asking your parents questions, you're watching and you're consuming and you're getting your first taste of, like, media. Mm. So, I think that could potentially be an interesting one to go, well, what was that
1: childhood all-time kind of favorite? Damn. I think it's a few for me. Yeah. Um. But I'm trying to think of the significant ones, like the big, big, big ones. Yeah. And... I remember being obsessed with The Bug's Life. Okay. See, here's
0: our our different (laughs) timelines. So, 1997,
1: when I was six. Yeah. Uh, And, yeah, I would draw incessantly. Um, I would draw Hopper and Flick, um, get the McDonald's toys, but then I'd also start collecting locusts in the garden because I don't know why they were like, my garden, but I was obsessed about collecting them. Like, oh, it's a hopper, you know, kind of thing. Okay, wow. Well, um, it got me curious about that, yeah.
0: Mine was, I remember watching it in cinema, All Dogs Go to Heaven.
1: <gasps> I saw is, a clip of that on Tumblr the other is day. Which fucking sad. That looks terrible. I haven't seen it. It's about Jim and Shepard going to heaven at the end, right? He
0: dies and he like goes to heaven <laughs> it's all about like heaven and hell and mortality yeah. and like for a young kid. That's some heavy stuff. Yeah. yeah. I remember being like kind of traumatized by it. But that and, and perhaps the big one for me was probably um, Home Alone.
2: Really? Like watching like,
0: the first Home Alone and then going with my friends. I remember an exciting day in the holidays was when we went to go watch Home Alone 2. Okay. And it was amazing. It was the highlights. I loved the inventiveness of it. I loved how he built those contraptions. Mm. I thought that was quite cool. It sort of played into my idea of why I loved Donatello so much in Ninja Turtles. Because I liked how he was smart and he could produce interesting make because
1: you're a maker i think that's it you're a maker yeah like the guy who says I'm an entrepreneur like you have that spirit in you it's like you're an ideas guy you're like i want to do this
0: not just the thinking like i've taken great joy in like in making i like when Mm. i was in film school i loved holding the dvd because i would design the cover and for me that felt as cool as make as actually making, making the, the film, film. was yeah. was making the cover like publishing that's why I love limited edition.
1: I get to make clothes, I get to touch them, yeah, something you can hold yeah that's amazing that's so so, that that's sense. an interesting thing to to note I think my fandom started with Star Wars when I was eight in nineteen ninety nine Stars episode one released, so like made for young boys yeah, I see I was, I was in high school boy.
0: I started high school okay. and i watched I watched episode one and I remember being blown away by it yeah like seeing that underwater village and seeing the pod racing oh okay so the first layer of the onion is that okay is that is that childhood that childhood Mm. obsessiveness then the next layer i think comes more around 15 16 where i think you are at your most fanatic okay where you have the ability to seek out something more you're not just taking what was given to you from yes. your parents you start to read your own magazines yeah and i remember that was the know? point where i was probably the biggest foo fighters fan like i've yeah. always like i would consider them my favorite band of all time but yeah. i was but the fandom peaked there yeah. you know where you actually kind of obsess and yes. read and want to take it all in and you kind of do see them as absolute heroes you can't imagine there any of your <laughs>
1: heroes are flawed oh yeah they're, they're gods no, and so for and,
0: me that was like no. the movies become a little more risque at that point or a little bit more cheeky or a little bit more grown up. Okay. So you're watching, you're watching a movie at 13, 14, 15 that was probably more made for 18, 19, 20. You know, so you kind of, it's when you want to grow up, which is, I okay. think is an interesting time. So for me that was a movie like Biodome with Paulie Shaw and Stephen Baldwin.
1: No idea. No idea what's in yeah. Absolutely no idea. What is it? What's the back of the box?
0: Uh no, they it's they it's a silly Pauly Shaw movie. Okay. He he had a very particular kind of time in the nineties where he played a particular kind of stoner character. Okay. Um, him and Stephen Baldwin are these two like loser dudes who um think they drive past this experiment, this great scientific achievement where people are gonna put themselves in a sealed off dome to try and grow and plants and test that the atmosphere can can remain unchanged for a year. Okay. That's happening while these two stoners drive past, think it's a shopping mall and they need a wee. <laughs> so they go in to what they think is a shopping mall. They can't find a toilet and they end up getting stuck in the dip, the in bio bio dome. <laughs> But it's a dumb, it's a dumb stoner comedy. Like okay. it aged like a fucking glass of fresh milk. Like it's, <laughs> it's not timeless comedy in it's any way. It's a cool way.
1: premise, though. I'm curious. Well, well,
0: no, Kylie Minogue's in it. Oh, is She's she? She's one of the scientists. Oh, okay. Michael and I watching it. Um, it's great. It's it's harmless. Okay. But that's the one I kind of obsessed over in that regard. Which is not, which is not fucking high class cinema in the slightest. Then it takes me. Because, okay, perhaps you can think oh, about right. what, yeah, yeah. what the second onion layer would be for you. But while you're thinking about it, I'll just present what I think should be the third one, mm. which is like your varsity 20s era. Okay. Where you then are perhaps reading the books you feel you should read. You're crafting your intelligence. You're crafting your opinion. I think that's an interesting time as well. Mm. That's when you watch like Gondry. <laughs> oh, wild. And yeah. you have opinions like, you know, The Usual Suspects is the best movie of all oh, time. I know, that's
1: teenage years for cinephiles. I'm getting into that. Okay. So, no, for me, that's older than teenage. Okay, interesting. A little
0: bit. Uh, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was one of those movies for mm. me. I was like, fuck, oh, okay. this is like the culmination of everything. Yes. Okay, what is your What is your second layer?
1: Okay, I think that it was around the time that I was starting to like deliberately like watch movies because I was enjoying them a lot. Yeah. And I found, um, an empire magazine, uh, top 250 movies as voted by empire readers, film professionals, film critics. You're
0: still in high school at
1: this point. Yeah. I'm right? still in high school. Okay. And, uh, I think I started to like, look at this list and it was like, okay, cool. Number one is the empire strikes back as voted. Star Wars episode five. um, And then Alien is five. And then you start to see On the Waterfronts and all these different movies. But so you were seeking those out. Yeah. You were seeing them. And I think I was like, and you were like, this is what I have to watch. Blossoming into a film fan, like a cinephile. Mm. But the start of that, if you're a white male, is a film bro. And I was (laughs) 100% a film bro. I was like, Okay, it's that era of discovering nineties like counterculture, Pulp Fiction, The mm-hmm. Goodfellas, and The Usual Suspects, yeah, and I, Fight Club.
0: I had friends in high school go like, I would I would quote movies, and they'd be like, "How do you how can you quote me? Like, how is it that you know the word? exactly? Lies? Yeah, almost like I was a little like weirdo, like a little uncool yeah. for doing that, and no, I was what? like, "What oh, the hell? What?" Because they, right. they were sport bros. Oh, okay. And then what I loved is that when I then went
1: to varsity and was surrounded by all those people like me, I was like, okay, I'm Okay, fine. cool. I'm fine. I'm home. I'm now. okay. Yeah. This is where I belong. But I it's think like that... Everyone
0: here can quote movies.
1: I think that for me, the one that I watched the most, I think it was The Dark Knights. So being the film bro that's like Chris Nolan and Zack Snyder are the best filmmakers ever. Because around that time, Zack Snyder had made Watchmen okay. um, and 300. I remember thinking um, 300
0: was cool. That was varsity for me. Yeah, like
1: when that came out, it was like, "Oh, this is fresh. This is something new. And Watchmen was ambitious and it was before Marvel, mm-hmm. like at the start of Marvel. But then The Dark Knight was like, fuck, it was accessible, good filmmaking because it's Batman. And you go and Wait, you're like... so was The Dark Knight high school for you? That came out, I think I was 17 when that okay. came out. Right at the end of high school. Yeah, towards yeah, the end of Yeah, that was this.
0: very much... Post. I mean, like start of high school for me was
1: post yeah, for me. it was Lord of the Rings, two thousand eleven, two thousand two, and two thousand. That was eleven, twelve, and thirteen. Was Lord of the Rings, and I was like watching it every day.
0: Okay, well that's that's the layer okay. two. The layer, okay, two, the layer is, two
1: is like the one that early. I thought it might have been later. I don't know. Yeah.
0: You know what it is. We're gonna figure this out. We're, we're gonna, gonna figure it out. We're gonna, going gonna evolve along, right? it. Yeah. And I love the idea that we pick up these little pieces and terms and ways of phrasing. But I I, I knew about an. I'm trying to think when we – I think I first tried it with Chris Chameleon. But our, but the idea was that, like, as these interviews with guests have evolved, I've tried to sort of weave this in. But I think we can probably look to make it even more formal as we go.
1: Yes. like, that, like As we problem-solve a way around them. Yeah, so. well, just
0: it can help also give people a structure that I think they can then cling to and they can they mm. can – not rely on, but they can come to enjoy. Yes. Because you literally get the person's whole life in Desert Island Discs. It's like, it's a phenomenal format and that's obviously why it's worked so well. So I don't want to do the exact same thing. Yes. So it's not necessarily the films that you want to keep forever, but I, I like the idea of of me going, well, we can rent that for you. Like yes. As they say that film, it's like, okay, well, we'll rent that. Yes. You know, do you want to watch it again? Cool, we'll rent that. Now, or, would you watch it again? You know, the and then the other one is is that if you really loved that, did you catch that at the time? Mm-hmm.
1: No. You don't know that one.
0: Shit. Okay. Well then
1: then we'll rent you that. What was your third layer? What's the what's the university layer? For me was It was a Gondry.
0: Yeah, it was probably a film like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Okay. Like I think that was just the, that was just him at his best, him being Michelle Gondry. I think that was the one that like Oh, my my second layer film, sorry. I'm gonna be a bit cooler. It's not fucking Biodome. <laughs> Biodome's wrong. I was bi- I'm too young for Biodome. That's
1: primary school. Okay. High school was Amelie. Oh, uh, you- wow. That came out when you were in high school. That is mm. a cool movie to have when you're yeah. discovering movies. So I had
0: a, I, I've had this really great lifelong friend. His name's Ian. Ian Groves. He's actually a very fam- famous, established, fine artist from Cape Town now. And um, he was my like childhood friend in primary school. And then he moved to Cape Town, like, at the end of primary school. So my high school was spent without him and Joburg. And I would take these trips to Cape Town to hang out with him, like, just on a holiday. And I remember him and his friend being like, you should see this movie. And I remember going, my fucking whole world is different oh, now wow. that I've seen Amelie. Like, for those who don't know, it's this, this really great French film. And it's the most appetizing, easy-to-digest version of what you'd imagine a French art house film to be. Yeah. Like it's, the, it's the most accessible way to experience the magic of that kind of movie, which is, in another language, different kind of humor, different view in the world, different way of looking at things.
1: Yeah, shot like in an extreme shot, way.
0: Shot in this beautiful way where, for the first time, for me, I could appreciate composition and color and the artistic nature of actually making the film. Mm. Up until then, I'd probably just seen, you know, this is the shot that works to make the shot. Mm. But this was someone rich enriching the color. Like, it was one of the first films I noticed where, like, color grading was big. It was this bright green yeah. and yellow. And, it's of course, like it's the most... when she's
1: sad in bed, there's a blue lamp next to her and suddenly. It's, but it's know? the most it's enchanting amazing. story, it's which beautiful. is basically the,
0: the story of this woman's life. Her name's Amelie. She... she is trying to make a career for herself in in paris and she works in this beautiful cafe but she's quite enchanting and she's and she has got this curious wonder about how she looks at the world and she wants to help all the people around her she fancies herself as this um sort of superhero but a good superhero that can do these things and and it's her falling in love and fuck it's a good movie that's amazing It's my
1: favorite movie and hearing you talk about it i'm uh, like mm, i want to watch it again and so that was my 16 that's my layer two okay that makes sense that's a good that's layer a, two yeah that's a film i think it's the american society of cinematographers i don't know if it's of all time or if it's of the 20th century because when did it come out i
0: don't know
1: because it would have been 20th century because the director yeah. went to make alien resurrection after that which was a fucking stupid idea <laughs> but um it's rated the most well-shot film by the American Society of Cinematographers. I think it's cinematographers. It's that and uh, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, by good old um, Roger Deakins. Okay. Those are the two movies I remember seeing Deakins on Deakins being
0: the cinematographer, yeah. and
1: then whoever shot Amelie, the no, next film remember. he shot was Alien. The director. The oh, next film he made. Director. Jean-Paul yeah. Junet. Take a French art house director and put him at the helm of an alien horror. It's oh, like fuck mm. no, that's not gonna work. And that's a good idea actually for another discussion of type of movie because we've got to get onto our third layer. But the naughty movie that you watched when you were far too young. Or like not naughty in terms of sexual, but, yeah, like but R eighteen.
0: Yeah, we've been speaking about that. We're okay. along the way that yeah, those are those are the bonus. Questions.
1: Okay, because was, what was the movie me was, you were too young? To that was watch. Alien Resurrection for me.
0: For mine it was fucking Alien Two. What? Both. No, the, both. Both that and Poltergeist. Okay, where I was like kind of locked in a room by an older family friend. What? A whole bunch of us. You know when like the families get together for a dinner. Yeah. And it's very exciting because they all bring their kids. Yes. And their kids, are your chummies, and you do things. You yes. make up plays and you run around the garden and yeah. do things and um and they.
1: Decided to and make this, you guys we, watch. We
0: were watching TV in what is my dad's study. um, And um, we were watching Police Academy. And then the one older oh, cool. kid realized on the other channel was Poltergeist. And he he stole the remote. Oh,
1: no. And
0: and he was like, everyone's going to watch Poltergeist. And we were like, oh, my God. <laughs> and the fucking thunder and lightning got closer and closer. And the kid gets into the TV. I was oh, like, oh, no, no. You're a little bit scared. Oh, no. No, no yeah, I was I, a very... I was a very horror-fearing
1: kid. Same. Um, I wasn't I,
0: desensitized in the slightest.
1: Same. My n- cousins came over from England. They'd immigrated when I was eight and we were best friends. And they came back when they were like when we were like 11. Um, and then somewhere around there, I'm not sure. And he was like, dude, you have to watch this alien movie. And we're like, we're not allowed to watch that. It's R18. Yeah. And he was like, no, you need to watch this. And I was just like, oh God. terrifying me to the bone. Yeah. Just
0: like sleepless nights. Yeah. But this has come up, on on a on a few um, video store chats, really. So I think it's a it's, it's a good, a good one. question.
1: It's a good one to to hold on to. Yeah. Uh, let's wrap up with the third layer. What's your final layer? Yeah,
0: for me, it's it's eternal sunshine. Oh, it's eternal sunshine. One hundred
1: percent. What did it change about your worldview? Do you think? Like,
0: well, I just love the DIY nature of it. So Michelle Gondry used visual tricks mm. throughout, and how. Yeah, we were traveling through his his memory, but that was as made physical right? as
1: it was disappearing. and Fuck. Um, yeah, that, that one shot of the parallel on the sidewalk where there's like a car crash and then he goes again and walks left of frame and we track left and there's something different. You track right, there's something different. It's like it was all very practical shot. as well. A yeah. lot of Gondry stuff. It's so like really impressive.
0: Michel Gondry is a French filmmaker. He was famous for a bunch of very cool music videos, the biggest ones of which were Daft Punk's Around the World, a Ooh, lot of Chemical legendary. Brothers, a lot of White Stripes. Mm. But it was all very like practical, stop motion, in-camera mm. stuff, which is what we've been speaking a lot about recently, which is yeah. you know, what, what um, people can really appreciate the accomplishment of. So it wasn't the sci- the CGI thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just everything about Eternal Sunshine is great. Just the writing. Yeah, it's amazing. Soundtrack. I, remember, I was late to that one. It's, it's Charlie Kaufman. He yeah. wrote it. All of that Charlie Kaufman stuff was very much my third layer. Oh, being amazing. John Malkovich, Big
1: ideas. Adaptation. It's like changing form because that deal, like Charlie Kaufman... Uh, deals a lot with interrogating like the structure of movies and he changes it. It's like yeah. breaks fourth wall, wall or it breaks dimensions yeah. or it yeah, changes it's structure it's and very, it, it's meta. It's very, um, and it's very challenging. Mm. Yeah. What was your third layer? Heartbeats. The fuck's that? <laughs> By Xavier Dolan, the darling of Cannes Film Festival. Um, oh. And I remember like when we how were... Do, what, how do I not know about this? I don't know. Um film. Yeah. And Heartbeat. he... Um, is a very beautiful looking Canadian man. And I think Did that it was have something to do around. With it, Cole? It, yeah, it was um, <laughs> definitely. As we start exploring this, it was sexuality? university, and I came out of the, a very Christian uh, environment where I was like literally voted the best Christian at school. No. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Christian um, I love how that's a competition That gets a prize you know, it's, Well it's not a competition It's like an annual Part of the annual award ceremony It's like the Best Christian character award And as voted on By peers and teachers Now you
0: see How interesting is this You're talking about a film And we get that out of you Yeah I don't even fucking know that And we Wild. are chum- We've had form. so many
1: Discussions about this This is what's good oh, yeah, I haven't told you my joke About that Uh uh-uh. uh so I was the school pianist so I'm sitting there playing piano and I'm I sit at the piano for the whole ceremony in front of the whole school and then great teen christian character award goes to Cole Matthews and then I I'm like I'm not kind of not paying attention uh. and then she goes Cole and then I like m- me like in shock and yeah. horror knowing the depths of my like gay lust and I like <laughs> walk up stage <laughs> <laughs> and get this award in front of the whole school. And then that night I went home and cranked a gay porn because everyone was like, you're such a good Christian. And I was like, I don't like gay porn. Yeah. That's you cranked. Yeah. Crywank. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. Oh, my God. Okay, Sorry, well, we children.
0: All, no, but listen, we're getting to know Cole here.
1: Yeah. So, um, Obviously, second year in film school. Um, my parents had gotten a divorce at the start of the year and it was like led to a huge identity crisis. I just had my first breakup, heterosexual relationship breakup. Um, and yeah, it was like a lot going wrong. <laughs> and I was a very depressed young boy. and But you was, were the best Christian. <laughs> I was the best Christian, man. And then um, oh, I was. Fuck, that was a I present was in, for me. <laughs> I was at art school. And discovering cinema and discovering French New Wave and discovering Art House. And then I saw a photo of this director, and it's like Xavier Dolan. I was like, who's he? Yeah. He's cute. And this guy, before he was like 20 or something, or 22, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> he loved it so much, Sorry. he, he um, received two standing ovations at Cannes yeah. for his first two movies, and one of those was Heartbeats. I think it might have been his second, I'm not sure. Okay, I but need Heartbeats, Heartbeats now. is a um, love triangle movie. Uh, okay. I've got a feeling this came up. Layla, the producer
0: from Yellowbone. Oh yeah. Our episode with her, I'm pretty sure she said. Oh really? She Heart, said this as well.
1: It's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful love triangle movie through the eyes of, a f- like a gay man and his um, best friend. So like he's her fag hag basically, or yeah. um, well, she's the fag hag, sorry. And they both fall in love with this Adonis, this young man. And yeah. it's about who's he in love with? Is he in love yeah. with me? But it was like the first time I was seeing like gay sexuality expressed so explicitly in a movie, and it wasn't even that explicit, but it was mm. still like shameless and seeing the desire of men and women, and then I was like, oh, yeah, I'm bisexual. Cool, that's when I discovered that. Yeah, what a great answer. yeah, this is this is gold. Do you think mm.
0: that do you think us saying layers? Is maybe a nice metaphor it. First layer, second maybe. layer, third layer.
1: Going with the Shrek. Going with the onion um, metaphor, analogy. Ogres okay. are like onions. <laughs> we'll try that. Yeah.
0: Okay. Listen, I think let's wrap it up there. That was that was fucking good. Awesome. It was constructive as well. I'm so and glad. thank you for everyone for coming along on this journey as we as we evolve our our conversation. And yeah, our hopefully, podcast. people
1: are listening and they can give us opinions. I've what got, do you think we should do?
0: I've got some really great. Um, Guest chats lined up. Awesome to to record and nice. and I'm going to test this on them and and hopefully people will start seeing the value in it. Yeah. This um being weeded into the episodes. We've obviously got a few banked where this is diluted, but you'll now see that we'll we'll give this a try. Cool and and kind of evolve the chat in this regard, which is exciting. All right, Kolsky Great. Thanks, man. Thanks for a nice day at the office. Yeah, it was wonderful. And we'll see you soon. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Come again next week. It's yeah. quite simple. And yeah. we have ourselves a home base, which is the video store at Over there, you can find all the platforms. If you don't subscribe to us already, um, you can find that and, and subscribe. And then please chime in on all our social media stuff. The links are all there on the, on the home base. And we just love the fact that more and more people are, are posting on our Facebook group, chiming in a, a friend of mine, Shout out to Catherine, if you're still listening at this point. Uh, a really good friend of mine listens from Munich. Oh,
1: thanks, Catherine.
0: And it is very nice to uh, hear from all our friends around the world yeah. as Mine well. are in South Korea listening. Oh. Right and Maeve. Oh, yeah. shout out. All right. Thank you, everyone. And listen, all the best. Yeah. See, you, see you again next week. Yeah, see you then. Bye. Bye.